everybody welcome back to another episode of the posting up podcast with keith smith the legend on my right and myself adam taylor you see the hat says adam taylor so you know in case you didn't know who i was the hat will tell you we're drawing real close to trade deadline day keith by the time that this episode airs and People have probably managed to consume it. Maybe they consume it in multiple parts. We're going to be there. And by the time we record again, it's going to be past, I'm assuming. So we need to do everybody the correct service, right? We need to go back through this trade deadline stuff once more and see where we stand. Now, there's a lot of rumors floating around, most likely smoke. But before we get into any of it, I've had I've had this question burning in my mind for a few days now. There's been a lot of discussion surrounding, oh, which teams are going to stand pat around the trade deadline because they're going to be players in the buyout market, right? But if the trades aren't happening to start moving players around so that buyouts start to occur, what what happens to these teams that are trying to stand pat? Because then there isn't any buyouts that happen, right? And all of a sudden, the whole idea of how they're going to finalize their roster for the rest of the season falls through. Yeah, there's always a game of chicken at this time of year that gets played. And in that game of chicken is, uh, do we need to give you even a second round pick for player X that you're just going to buy out two days after the deadline anyway? Or can we just get him then? And, and that's where, you know, they, they'll kind of take it down. What we'll, we'll, you ultimately generally see is if a team has the ability to trade for a guy and do it with a very minor asset going the other way, they'll do it because then it becomes, Hey, let's just, then we get them for sure. Right. Because in the buyout market, it can sometimes go a little sideways. I I know multiple times over the years, there've been teams that are like, yeah, we're, this guy's all lined up for us. It's going to get bought out. He gets bought out. And then some other team comes along with either an offer of a little more money, a little more playing time. They're a little bit better of a team and it gets a little messy that way. The, the, Three things guys look for on the bio market and kind of in this order is, can I win? Is the team a championship level contender? Am I going to play and play a role? And then the money is last. And the only reason it's last in the bio market is it's generally the same from just about everybody. Cause it's usually, all right, you know, all you have left is, you know, minimum prorated veteran minimum contracts and everybody's offering those. And that's where it goes. Occasionally you have a team that, They've got some of an exception left over uh, the Celtics in this, this year, they've got the disabled player exception that they can use. So sometimes the money could kind of be a swing uh, move and play there. That, that was a big part of Boston landing Greg Monroe, um, which we all know was a wild success and led them to great, great heights. <laughs> but that's the, the other thing why I kind of added the Greg Monroe part in there is if you're relying on the buyout market solely to be how you beef up your team, you're, you're probably in trouble because rarely do these moves deliver the way people really, really want them to. So that's just, you know, a couple of things to consider there, but on the trade piece of it. Yeah. We we're we're going to see stuff start moving. We're, we're a week out now. This is when the teams are saying, Oh, we couldn't possibly trade that guy for less than two or three first round picks are now like, all right, well, what about a first and an interesting young player? And the other side has been like, well, we can't give you more than, you know, this expiring contract and a, you know, top 20 protected first for them. are like, all right, you know, we could probably do, do this instead. Everybody gets a lot more reasonable as desperation starts to creep in. Okay, so there will be buyout players coming through trade. Oh, there's going to be buyout guys for certain because there's the – 
the biggest problem with a bunch of the guys who are bio candidates is their salaries are probably just a little too big to be reasonably traded. Yeah. Um, and the vast number of contenders we have right now are not going to see a major reason to you know, necessarily move on uh, from some of those guys. They're, they would rather just, hey, we'll just move them uh, there. So it, it, it's going to be a, a very different kind of trade deadline. I think we got some hints of that last season, what trade deadlines may look like moving forward. But I do still think it's going to be a very active one, which leads into a very active buyout market as well. Okay, so I'm, I'm feeling more confident now from a Celtics perspective at least. Because <laughs> I was like, dude, there's just They're going to get somebody. Get. Yeah, um, they're gonna get somebody. We'll stick with the Celtics for a moment. Seems we're there. I did have some points I wanted to touch on. The first of them being Jay King from the Afro- Athletic released a piece the other day. I like Jay King's writing in mm-hmm. general. Very, very good. He, he basically listed a bunch of players, as everybody's doing right now, that are logical, feasible, and attainable. But mm-hmm. one name that he put in there was a name I hadn't seen anywhere and it is a name i hadn't considered and so forth and it was jay sean tate from the houston rockets and and obviously he like he's looking at tate to fill the the front court role that the celtics have available and if you like if you're listening on an audio feed i did that in air quotes <laughs> he's undersized is six five six uh, basketball reference have him listed at six four so he's definitely undersized for front. I court. think he's close, a heck of a lot closer to six four than he is even six five. <laughs> so he's basically an inch taller than me. And <laughs> I walked past Jason Tatum the other day, and I came up to the guy's elbow, basically. <laughs> so how we can call this guy a front court player is beyond me. But here we are. Um, what What are your thoughts there? Do you think he he would even crack the rotation if they did acquire him? Yeah, I think for Boston, he feels more of that bigger wing uh, type of role off the bench, which is is also a need. I'm, I'm very much on record saying that is the far bigger need to me than getting another big because they think there is a chance they can snag a big on the buyout market. There will be some big man available that can come in and kind of just basically pair with Blake Griffin as the break glass big man that you throw in at some point. I think adding another wing, even if it's a wing who by the time we get into, let's say the second round of the playoffs is probably dropped as you kind of trim your rotation down to eight, maybe nine guys. That's fine because there's still 30 games to go to even get there. And I don't want to see Boston putting too heavy a load on Tatum and Brown over these next 30 games because both of them were very open about being wiped out and exhausted by the time we got to the NBA finals. And that that's obviously the goal, right? The goal is get there and finish the job for this team. So if you, you want to want that to be where you're headed, then you need to be in a position where you are uh, in the best that's what awful phrasing in a position to be in the best position, but you want to be in the best position to get there and be rested as much as you can be. And in adding a guy like Tate, who I think could come in and play that role as a big wing would really, really help this team. How do you feel about this nickname? Joe Tibbs, Missoula. Um, <laughs> Simply for minute management. Yeah, that's kind of funny because it's it's not you're you're not wrong for sure. <laughs> like there there is definitely something there there with that. I do think there is is something there. 
I just want I've been wanting to tweet that out for a while, but I just didn't <laughs> I didn't want the smoke that had come back my way. Uh sticking with the Celtics for one more. You've got Peyton Pritchard goes on Evan Turner's podcast with Andre Guadola, the point forward podcast. Um that's pretty new out there, but if you're into all the smoke and like those player-led shows like uh, JJ Reddick's as well, then it's definitely good. But uh, obviously Pritchard said some stuff that sent Celtics Twitter into a little bit of a spiral. Basically saying that you know he want he wants to have a role somewhere. Once once he says once I'm done here, those are his words. A lot of people took that as the end of the season. Do you think this is him? Like, do you think they move him before the end of this? Me personally, I'm like you keep him to the end of the contract because the value you get back in terms of player isn't the value that's going out, right? But where do you stand on all of that? Yeah, so I'm going to give you a, a sneak preview here. This will long since posted by the time the show posts, but you're going to be the first one to hear this, is I talked to somebody today, um, just this morning, who said about Peyton Pritchard is, Jerry wants to play. And you know what, for us, and this was someone with the Celtics, who said it'd be far more of a problem if he didn't want to play. We would then, then we would be looking to move him. Like, we want competitive guys who want to see the floor, and they feel like Peyton Pritchard gets it. Like, he fully understands he wants to play more, he wants to be a regular rotation guy, but he's also not causing problems. He's not acting like a jerk in the locker room or any of that stuff. So, I don't think they feel any real pressure to trade him. I think they are being very smart to, uh, with, with no pun intended, with Marcus Smart in this injury and also understanding Malcolm Brogdon has been a guy who has missed a lot of time over the years. So they do not want to be in a position where all of a sudden they look up because they traded Peyton Pritchard maybe for a wing or a big, and it's like, oh, wait, now we have Derek White and maybe our two-way guy, J.D. Davison, and that's it at the ball handler spot. Right now they have incredible depth at that position, but – it's just something there. I don't think anything happens with Peyton Pritchard before the trade deadline. I, I would almost be kind of surprised if it does. I do think over the summer there is a chance we see a move then because I think that'll be seen as, all right, if we can do right by the player to get him to a place where he can play more, especially as he heads into you know his last year of his rookie scale deal, and we can plug whatever holes are – pop up between now and the summertime um well then i think you'll see the celtics look to do a move like that and rocky scale extension eligibility if he was to get traded could he be extended after yeah that? he can so that does yeah. go with him on that move yeah yeah as long as yeah and, and he's not a designated veteran or a designated rookie guy or anything like that he's never gonna even approach that kind of money but yeah as long as you you, you move him it's you know he can can extend just like he could uh with boston Okay, so that obviously makes him more of a, a desirable asset as sure. well. In yeah. That, in, in... yeah, and I can tell you too, there's a handful of teams, the Warriors have been very notably reported as having interest in Pritchard as they think they look to retool their bench a little bit and with guys who are under team control. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs are a team, I was told, have some interest because they don't have a lot at the point guard position. It's kind of Trey Jones and a bunch of guys that are being kind of mushed into the position to handle those those ball handling duties so that that's another team as well as this one sounds a little odd because it seems like they're overflowing with guards uh but the charlotte hornets are another team i was told that reached out about what could it look like and the reason why there is i think charlotte is looking at hey if we retool and we move terry rogier uh we're left without a whole lot besides mellow ball lamello ball and i think they see it as 
ball with his size, you can play guys alongside him that are a little bit smaller because ball can handle a couple of the bigger guys. Not that he's a great defender or anything, but it's just a weird positional thing where he's a truly a six foot seven point guard. You can play a smaller two guard next to him and not give up a ton of size. And that helps Pritchard because he spent his rookie year playing as a two guard off of Kemba. So that actually, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and Pritchard is, he shows flashes of on-ball stuff, but so far in his career, he's been mostly an off-ball guy. So I think I would like to see him get somewhere where we can find out, hey, can he really be an engine that can really drive an offense for a while and really control the floor? Um, but we'll, we'll see where that ultimately goes with, with him because, you know, it's just it, that opportunity. I can't see how that comes fully for him in Boston. But for right now, if you're the Celtics, you're trying to win a championship. So you'd be a little bit selfish towards the team side of it of, Hey, you'll get your shot, but right now we're trying to win and we can't be caught in March, April, May down a point guard and turning to someone who's really, we don't have a lot of faith. And then they, they have a ton of faith and trust in Peyton Pritchard. When they say those things, those aren't just, you know, cliche words that they say. They believe like, hey, we could throw him in after not playing for a week and he's going to deliver for us because he generally does. I like Pritchard. I hope he like I'm of the belief that if he goes somewhere else and gets the opportunity, he'll thrive. Now, as a good segue, as we should do, the Celtics absolutely dismantled, destroyed, mauled, <laughs> whatever adjective you want to throw in there. They the, they cooked the nets. I mean, if Shaq was ever going to use the barbecue chicken phrase, this is the time to use it. What also some Shackton moments like letting Derek White go coast to coast with no one bothering to pick him up. Uh, Daron Sharp, I still don't know if he knows that ball's been inbounded uh, for, <laughs> from late in the first half. Like, boy, was he lost on that play! Like, yeah, so but that's a whole whole other thing. By the time people hear this, like, guys, it was like seven days ago. What are you doing? <laughs> it's uh, you know, <laughs> it was hilarious though. Um, was- what shocking is, and we're going to not talk about the performance. I mean, the performance was shocking. But yeah. what, what else is shocking is there doesn't seem to be any noise coming out of Brooklyn regarding anything to do with a trade or an upgrade or a roster consolidation move. They just seem to be quite happy with where they're at. And when they're healthy, I can understand. But clearly their depth is an issue, and that will become a problem if they did make it deep into the playoffs. Yeah, I think for the Nets, what you're starting to get a sense of is the reason you're not hearing a lot is these are not buzzy names that that are being mentioned. These are not, you know, like over the summer, right? It was KD stuff every second day. You got some new KD rumor. These are more guys who are in a position to, hey, like these are role player for role player type moves to rebalance a little bit. Uh, They are very actively looking for a big. They're going to add a center uh, either through a fairly minor trade or they will add a center through the bio market. Uh, that's very well known that they know they need something besides Nick Claxton um, just for those games where Claxton he's been incredible defensively should be an all defense guy this year, but he still has the occasional game where he gets in foul trouble really early and they just don't have anything they can go to, especially with Ben Simmons out and being a little unreliable. So I think what we are going to see with them is they're going to add a center. And then if they can do something to upgrade their bench depth, they'll do that. But that probably is a little less likely. So do you think they're just being coy and they're operating behind the scenes instead of trying like, because there just literally isn't anything floating around about. Yeah. Right I now. think, 
they generally tend to be pretty quiet. Sean Marks yeah. isn't a guy who works through the media a whole lot. They did out of necessity with the Kevin Durant stuff because that was obviously flying from 15 different directions, right? There were the teams that had talked to them about Durant trades, all putting their own spin on it. There were the Nets putting their spin, KD and his camp putting their spin. So you have to, at that point, get involved in, in those trade uh, you know, discussions and leaks and those kind of things. But in general, if you go back outside of that, they tend to be a little more quiet, especially when it's not a you know superstar kind of guy. When the Harden stuff was going on again, that's such a high level guy. You're going to get a million things that are flying around from all over the place. So I, I think they're working. I just, I just think they're, they're doing it the way you should. They're, they're kind of working in silence right now. That's what Biggie Small says, right? Bad boys move in silence. That's it. That's um, it. <laughs> that's Moving a good on. tie right there my friend uh, i thought of that um i'm quite proud <laughs> of that <laughs> moving on i want to look at toronto because i see toronto as a team that hold the keys to the entire trade deadline um, <laughs> you and everyone who covers the nba is in the nba or even cares about the nba like it's, it's yes that is exactly how i have every conversation i have and i apologize for interrupting you but this is just just where this is at with the raptors is Every single conversation I have within five minutes turns to what do you think Toronto's doing? What are you hearing about Toronto? Like it's that that's exactly you know spot on with where those things are at. I'm proud of myself. We made it 17 minutes before I mentioned Toronto. <laughs> that means I'm more than triple the amount of restraint than most that's people. <laughs> where do you like come on? They they hold the keys. Van Vliet looks like he's probably one of the more tradable pieces they've got. Um, I think he'd be missed obviously but clearly they're looking to tear it down and rebuild at this point uh og is another guy og ananobi that's being floated around but i i thought they would have kept him as like one of their pieces for the, to build around to retool around look do you see anything like is there anyone you look at and you're like feasibly out like you're the guy that's going to get moved or you are the guys that make sense that are going to bring back enough for this team to be able to retool on the fly yeah, it take, taking their like lower end role players out of the mix, like the Thad Youngs and the uh, Ken Birch kind of guys, because those guys are always obviously in play in a trade. If we focus on their main guys, I would put them in this order, kind of most likely to be traded to least. I'd have Gary Trent at the very top. I just think they are ready to go a different direction. And I think we may see them make a move much like they did when they got Gary Trent, which was they traded Norman Powell, and moved him for a controllable player who is younger, going to hit restricted free agency in Trent. We may now see the reverse of that because I don't get the sense that Toronto wants to pay Gary Trent anywhere between, let's say, 17 and 22 million a season on his next contract. I think they are, are just ready to move in a different direction with that position. I would say the next most likely guy, and I would not have said this a week ago, but there's just too much going on now around him. Is OG Ananobi? I, I I would have said no way. I was kind of where you were. It was like uh, he's the guy when you kind of move a bunch of other guys, he's still there. You're building around him. Um, now I'm getting the sense of, and Chris Haynes reported this this morning on the uh, what is it? This League Uncut podcast with Mark Stein. He reported. OG Ananobi, he's maybe ready to be traded from Toronto. He's ready to go somewhere else. You have the Knicks have very openly offered three first-round picks. Now, that's a little deceiving because those are probably involving some picks that are 
pretty heavily protected from like Detroit and Washington that by the time they convey, they're probably not going to be very good picks. So, so that's where you got to, you have to kind of filter through those things. Not all first round picks are created equal, but Chris mentioned, and this is something that's been kind of out there is New Orleans is interested. Memphis is interested. And then, you know, there's probably another three or four teams we're not hearing a ton about who would love to get in on OG and Anobi. So, I think he's probably next most. Then Fred Van Vliet right there, right behind him. And the reason for that is he changed agents. That's not something you generally do if you're ready to sign a nice team-friendly deal to you know, extend into your 30s. I think that's another one where Toronto may be you know, kind of looking at it. It might be one of those of... Hey, we appreciate everything you did here, but but we're ready to we're we're, we're ready to to move move on, you know, uh, with that. So we'll we'll see what happens with that uh, with him. And then I think Siakam Barnes not going to go anywhere. Those two guys, I think, are the two guys Toronto will keep. But they would trade Siakam if it was like, holy cow, here's the you know our entire draft plus you know three great young players and those kind of things. I think they would be open to that. I will take. Uh, slight different path from something you said, though. I don't think they're going to fully tear it down. I think this is going to be move a couple guys and then flip this very, very quickly, retool on the fly, get right back, trying to be a very good team within a year versus a full scale, hey, we're blowing it up and we're starting over kind of situation. I don't I don't think that's in the cards for, for this Raptors team right now. But would you expect them to be? You said move a couple of guys. Would you expect that all to happen before February 9th? Or I think you it could. You think I, it could? I think Trenton and, and, and Ananobi, I think, are are definitely in play because I think the one thing with with both of those guys is you're probably hoping to get teams that are desperate for those three and D wings, which we know are generally kind of the hottest commodity um, there. And Toronto can offer two of them to, to teams. So I think they're in a position where it becomes. All right, we gotta like if if this is what the market will give us right now, and it is a massive seller's market right now because there's just not a lot of guys truly available. If if they can get it done, you get it done now. Um, maybe not both of them. It, I do think at least one of them is is moved on before the deadline on the ninth. But I think there's a chance we may come back around to, you know what, we're going to actually keep the other guy for now. And then that becomes a summertime thing. But it wouldn't surprise me if both moved. Or at least one, maybe Van Vliet. But it'll be that type of, okay, because I was always curious there whether it'd be, hey, we're going to make one move now and then we're going to see how we go. Maybe they, maybe, are you expecting the Raptors to try and bring people in out of secondary moves as well? So like, say they move OG and they get a bunch of stuff, but it's not really what they want. Do you think they could go and dip their toes into making their own trade to bring somebody in? Yeah, your challenge with that is that's very hard to pull off in the span of this next week. It's hard to get somebody in, reflip. You have those aggregation rules as far as, you know, you, you can't trade for a guy and then immediately package him with another guy and trade him out. That's that you're, you're not allowed to do that for 60 days. So that's more of a summertime kind of thing where it is, you know, Hey, if we're really kind of bringing in and moving on, I think it's probably more of a, Hey, we hit a kind of a, a soft, let me call it a, a soft reset here where yeah. we kind of fall just like they did with when they got Scotty Barnes a couple of years ago, we fall a little bit in the draft. They're not going to fall all the way down into the, you know, Wimbledon range, but if you're down and you're the sixth or seventh best lottery odds, 
We see teams jump all the time from there into, you know, into that top three. And if that happens, then it's like, oh boy, now we've got Siakam, Barnes, a top three pick, whatever we got from trading these guys. And now all of a sudden, you know, Masai Ujiri's kind of sitting there with, you know, doing the Mr. Burns. Excellent. Right. And I'm, I'm ready to go because I'm going to rebuild this thing very quickly and not just into a pretty good team, but probably very quickly into a contender again. So I think that's what we're probably looking at is an initial set of moves that facilitates a bit of a drop in the standings for the rest of the year. Toronto fans are great. They're smart enough to understand, Hey, we get what's going on here. Fully get it. And then let, let's get going uh, after that into the next year. Okay. So a lot of talk at the moment is on free and D wings. And there is one, championship level or you know it has the reputation of being a a not a culture changer but a team improvement guy in jay crowder that's currently floating around he's over in phoenix hasn't played all season for anybody listening uh last week or the or 10 days ago something like that he put a tweet out that literally just had an hourglass <laughs> a clock and another hourglass so he he's waiting to get moved we see things being floated around all the time. Every team that even is sniffing contention right now has been linked with Jay Crowder. Do you think he's actually going to find a new home before February 9th? I do. Yeah, I think it would be absolutely irresponsible from the Suns to not do that. You get to the point where if it's 2.30 on trade deadline day and somebody is offering a single second round pick, you're basically making a call to everybody saying, hey, we have an offer of a single second. Anybody want to beat that with two seconds? No? Great, we're moving on. We, we are moving him uh, in this trade. You, you have to trade him for something. Um, one, it becomes, it's not a good look to be so kind of bitter towards a guy for basically saying, I don't want to be here anymore to say, well, we're just going to hang on to you. And it's just, it's, it's poor roster building. It just becomes really bad, you know, uh, look all around. He's going to get traded at some point. Now the Suns are not going to be like, Hey, where, where is it? You really want to go. We're really going to work with you. That's not how this is going to go. Cause there is bitterness from both sides on this crowd are obviously very unhappy that the Suns told them you're not going to start next year. And then Crowder basically say, great, then I'm not playing at all. So the Suns are not happy with that, especially with the million injuries they've had. And quite frankly, he would have started most of the year anyway, maybe played well enough to keep that job. And then from from uh, from uh, Crowder's side, it's like, hey, what are we doing? We're now in February, a week from the trade deadline. You still haven't traded me. Where are we going with this? But that'll get done before February 9th without a doubt. This will not drag after that. And this won't be one where it drags to a buyout because if you're Phoenix, you take whatever you can get for him at the end and teams are not going to be playing the game of chicken with them. Like we talked about earlier in the show. Yeah. Cause to him, to them, he's just in a net negative. There's no positive. You, they, they were quite, here's a question. They wouldn't have had to pay him while he's refusing to play. Right. Oh, they do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Cause they're, this is not a, um, sitting out like a Ben Simmons situation was cause he's, they, this is a mutual agreement of no problem. Go away kind of thing like this is a you know we're 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 on board with this you don't want to be here fine we don't want you here but go away he's been getting paid this entire time this is not a hey we want you here get back here and practice kind of thing like it was with Simmons that's where that one was very messy um was the the Sixers wanted Simmons in the building they wanted him working his way back and uh whether you know 
I don't want to get into the whole, was he really having, you know, mental problems with that and, you know, uh, mental health concerns that kept him from the floor and those kind of things. Cause that's to me, quite frankly, we don't know. Right. So that's all rampant speculation. Anyway, I'm going to believe that he was until I'm given reason not to. Um, but regardless, it was, there was a disagreement there. This Suns and Crowder in full agreement. So it's go, go away. We'll, we'll work this out. So he's been getting his full salary the entire time. Oh yeah, they want him gone. Um, mm-hmm. I'm. Yeah. I would very much like to just chill on the PlayStation Five and get paid all day. <laughs> that would be fantastic. It's a dream, right? Uh, talking of a team that likes to pay people, and sometimes they pay people too much money on an extension that then absolutely hamstrings their ability to do anything else, and then the fans blame the player for taking the extension. And so, obviously, we're talking about the Lakers here, and you know, I was just referencing LeBron getting LeBron level money. They went out brought, since the last time we talked about trade deadline. They acquired Rui Hachimura. If Boston fans will remember Rui Hachimura because you had that one guy go viral telling you to trade everybody for Rui Hachimura. Do you remember that video? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that aged well. Um, first things first, how do you feel about that move? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it for the Lakers because he gave up comparatively nothing to to get him. Uh, Kendrick Nunn in a couple seconds, that's you know, fine. I think they needed to add uh, somebody who was bigger than six foot four to play the forward position. It, it had been you know LeBron, a big, and a whole bunch of guards was basically their rotation for the entire season, and he just had to get get someone with more size. I'm very curious. They started the other night against the Knicks. They started Davis, Hachimura, and James together. I didn't necessarily expect that. Um, so, But now um, Darvin Ham has some lineup versatility he can go to. He can play bigger if he wants to, you know, if he wanted to start Thomas Bryant, Davis, and James. He could do that. Now you you obviously have Hachimura in the mix. I think Hachimura is a guy, too, you could kind of on second units, which has been a problem for the Lakers just because their depth isn't great. You could kind of put him out there with Dennis Schroeder and basically say, all right, you guys have the offense for the next, you know, six minutes. And we just got to put enough defense around you and a couple shooters that will probably be, will probably stay afloat. And that's been a problem for them. So great, great deal for the Lakers to get Hachimura. If you're watching me right now, I'm literally sitting here trying to think of how you can get the best out of any rotation that has Dennis Schroeder. Um, <laughs> that's what you told me. You so let's go my head. them playing Boston, the, the game you were at. Schroeder was playing amazing throughout probably 40 minutes of that game. Like he really, really good. And the whole time I was just like, it, but it's coming. It's it's gonna go. It's go gonna be sideways, you know, at some point. And then he had a couple bad turnovers, and then he could make shots, and all of a sudden it all fell apart. And I was like, yeah, I kind of this went about as expected. See, I, I have a lot more trust in Hachimura figuring it out. And like you said, like you know, there's room, there's developmental room to improve, and he he adds that diversity and versatility. Mm-hmm. Schroeder, I'm just like, man, like. Go and get Van Vliet. Like that's what. <laughs> like if you can, that that brings yeah, us. Yeah, that's the next. problem. Is if you can. If you it. can, and that brings us on to the next part, right? Like, first things first. Do you see this being the only move that the Lakers make? I don't. I think they'll do something, but it's not going to be a Van Vliet level move. Because in order to do that, the only realistic way now is to make a trade that probably involves Russell Westbrook, and that's just not going to happen. The one 
he's actually played pretty well for the Lakers. I know any Celtics fans listening to this are like, he's wait, he's what now? Because he's had two poor games against Boston. But for the most part, he's been pretty good. He, he's really adapted into that six-man role. If he accepts that and he accepts whether it's with the Lakers or whoever the rest of his career, he can add three, four years onto his career, pretty productive basketball, because I look at it as that's what Derrick Rose did, right? He went from being, I'm a star, everything orbits around me, I'm a central focus of a team, to, all right, I'm not that guy anymore, but I can come off the bench and contribute. And he's extended his career for Rose probably five or six years by making that transition there. I don't know that Russ, just because he's older when he's making it, has five or six years, but he may add you know, two, three, four more years of productive play. So that's not going to be the trade, but they're going to do something else. There's going to be another move coming, I think, for them. It may be a smaller move, another trade of we're going to move another one of these guards out. We're going to get somebody in so we can kind of just continue to put more functional lineups on the floor, more versatility for Darvin Ham. And that's something that absolutely they should be doing because if you look at it, you know, yes, they're at 13th in the Western Conference. That is true. But they are literally four games away from the Clippers for the fourth seed in home court advantage. So, I mean, that's just, you know, the madness of the Western Conference. So, yeah, do do something else. Get something else done. But I just don't think it's going to be a big blockbuster. I don't think that's in the cards. I'm rumored it's been floating heavily, and I just want your thoughts on this before we move on. We've only got a few more points to hit on. Has been Doug McDermott. Just adding shooting, somebody that can shoot off the sure. move, that can shoot off the catch. You know, he's quite a versatile scorer in that sense. Do you see that being that type of level move, or is that still too big of a trade that you think? No, that you could get to, right? Because that's a $13 million player. Once you start talking more than 20, that's where it's like, yeah, that's either Beverly and Lonnie Walker. And then it's like, the guy you're getting better be really good. You're giving up a starter and another, you know, high end rotation guy in that. But I think if you, if you did something like a Beverly for McDermott swap straight up, uh, then I assume the Spurs would wave uh, Beverly, buy him out and let him go to whatever team he wants to go to. Um, from there, I think, if you're the the Lakers, that's the kind of thing you could get to and make some sense because they could be looking at like, all right, well, we're pretty healthy now. You just got to be cautious of you can't trade too much defense for offense because then you become unbalanced the other way. But if you're thinking, hey, AD can clean up for these guys behind them, uh, we've got enough other guys who can hold their own defensively, that's the kind of move that could still make some sense. Could you see Beverly walking into Palinka's office and holding a contract the same way he held the camera and then looking <laughs> at Palinka the way he looked at the ref? Yeah, unfortunately, no, because he's not extension eligible. He <laughs> did that. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's more of a uh, – I, I don't think the Patrick Beverly experiment in, in Los Angeles is going to extend beyond this year. Well, at least – the Lakers side of Los Angeles, let's say that. I mean, yeah, you could see him maybe making his way back to the Clippers at some point, but but we'll see. He's the kind of guy he he holds some grudges, and that's quite frankly, that's how he got to this point in his career by being a guy who plays with a very large chip on his shoulder. Yeah, and I liked him when he was with the Clippers. I don't like him mm -hmm. at the moment. I liked him last year as well with the Timberwolves. Don't like him mm -hmm. at the moment, but he's wearing purple and gold. Right, moving on. <laughs> We've got the Kings now. I'm I'm loving the Kings this year. Um, I just quick one, it don't need much of a like long wind up to this just simply do you think they need to add just to to put, give them that extra boost in their playoff push when adam says quick one for everybody listening and watching that's like hey don't go on and on just answer my question please um 
<laughs> is, uh, I'm very cognizant of time. It is. Um, yeah, they're going to do something. They, I, I, they, they've got too many non-rotation players carrying significant salaries that are very easily tradable that they can go get help. Uh, they're in on Matisse Thibel for sure. They're, they're, they're trying to see, you know, can we do that? And I think that's the right kind of decision for them is, can we get one more wing that can really hold his own defensively? Because I think that's probably the single biggest thing this team is missing is they just don't have anybody. If you get into a playoff series and let's say it's Kings Mavericks, no one is shutting down Luca, but they don't have anybody they can even put on Luca to hope to have a chance. And if you get a thigh bowl, you could say, all right, you've got him. Like you do your best, you know, for the next, you know, 40 minutes tonight. Like that's your guy. So they're going to be in on guys like him. I think Gary Trent Jr.'s actually would be a really great spot. Potentially the Kings could be a really good place for him to land. He'd be probably move into being the kind of co-six man role with Malik Monk, where they both come off the bench. Monk's your designated shooter. Trent is your three and D guy. So there's options there for sure with the Kings. Plus they're a mile away from luxury tax so they could take on a little bit of salary and trades and not have any real concerns with that they had no idea they were going to be good this year that's why they're so far away from the luxury tax yeah i think that's part of it but i also think just the way their roster was constructed they, they weren't in a spot to take on more money i think had they known rashawn holmes and uh, a couple of you know alex len a couple of these other guys were going to be completely out of the rotation i think they might have looked to turn those guys into one more like 20 million dollar player yeah. um, and that's still on the table here because the important thing is that's flexibility they could get to right now today and then go into maybe all right now we've got a little cover if harrison barnes leaves or whatever these are the decisions you're making moves for upgrades today to finally break the playoff drought but you're also chasing yeah if we can get somebody in here who could be a help for you know the next two three years too that's so much the better for them Okay, I like the Kings. I want to see them have more than a first round in the playoffs. Is what I'm. Oh, I, for me, just get to the first round because you know that's. I mean, that first home playoff game is going to be that is going to be must watch TV because they are going to be absolutely bonkers out of their minds, and that is a very good and loyal fan base in Sacramento. And how long has it been since they're in? Sixteen the years. I been dating my wife for about six weeks at that point <laughs> um which is crazy right okay so we go over to miami now we go we, we fly back east and we talk about another team that similar to toronto that there's a lot of smoke but unlike toronto they hold no keys to the player to, to the playoffs to the trade deadline what they do want is for that door to open and for some valuable scraps to start falling out what what can they do? Because it's clear they need to do something. But but what is it? I don't know. Like I and I'm not trying to be snarky with that response. It's just really hard for them to do anything. If they're going to do anything meaningful, it's probably going to involve trading Kyle Lowry. And I I just don't know that they're there. Right? They they went through this whole thing of they basically tried to get him for a year, and then they finally did. And then they got hit with tampering and lost the second round pick to get him. And all the stuff that happened with that, it is that is really hard two years in to turn around and say, all right, you know what, we're going in a different direction. He is clearly, he's going to make 29, almost 30 million next year. He is not a $30 million player anymore. He just isn't. Your part of what you're paying there is you're paying for past performance. And that's kind of just how NBA salary structure works to some extent. But when you look at their team, 
They've got Bam Adebayo on a max deal. Jimmy Butler on a max deal. Tyler Hero, not a max deal, but getting paid a whole lot of money. Lowry at $30 million. And then that kind of albatross, Duncan Robinson, at $15, $16 million. You are pushing the tax for like five or six guys. And Max Struess and Gabe Vincent, super key guys for them who have really, they're kind of the shining examples of Miami plucking these undrafted dudes and using their G League to turn them into something, much like Robinson was at one point. They're free agents and they need to be signed. So now you're in a spot where what do you where are we going with this? Victor Oladipo can be a free agent again. You know, what are we doing with him? I think he's earned a uh, to a point where it's like, hey, he's another key guy. So it's just a team that's kind of caught in the middle right now with a bunch of things. And their only real clear way out of it that makes sense is probably to move Lowry. I just don't know that they're there today. I think it's probably, hey, let's give this group one more run. Because it's it's easy to forget. They could have been in the finals if Jimmy Butler's shot had fallen, right? Or if that game had two more minutes, the Celtics were cooked. They had nothing yeah. left. So if that game had two more minutes left, Miami probably wins it. And that was only, that wasn't even a year ago. Right. So let's, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, put, put all the dirt on their grave yet. Like this team's still hanging around. They're still playing pretty good. They beat Cleveland in a pretty big win they needed to get the other day. So this, they're, they're, they're still, they're still there, but it's, it's very hard to see how much more there are they like, can they get into that? Like, I just don't see them getting into that top four mix and being a true title contender, but I think their bigger stuff probably comes this summer. That's fair enough. I mean, the one thing I'll try and rationalize when I look at a team like Miami is when the playoffs come, it's a fresh season. It's a different Mm -hmm. style of basketball. And it's, I look at Miami similar to how I look at the Lakers. They're more built for postseason play than they are for regular season play. And that's where you start to see variances in performances and shifts in mentality yep. and stuff. So that's where, that- too, sorry, only having eight or nine guys doesn't really matter because that's all you're going to play in the playoffs. So them, you know, they just got to get there. And they have to get there without putting too much on Butler and Lowry and bam. I mean, they got to get another big. And now Orlando Robinson, I know we're not doing our eye catchers and all that, but he would have been one. He would be playing great. Now he's out with a fractured right thumb. So you're in a spot where we're right back to it's bam. And then we're going to mess around with a whole bunch of goofy stuff behind him. Cause we don't have another big, maybe O'Mary or seven's starting to get kind of close um, with, with that. But yeah, it's just a weird spot for Miami right now. It's, I like Miami as well. I find them, but they can bore me at times. Uh, consistent success will do that for you. That's why I like yeah. the NBA because people fall off and new teams rise. Talking of a new team, on well, the what rise, do they say? You 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 hang around long enough to become the villain, right? Like that's what yeah. happened with the Warriors. Everybody loved the Warriors those first couple of years, and then they now that we're you know a decade into it, everybody's like, "Good God, get these guys out of here!" Like so many people <laughs> are done with them. But yeah, that's just how it goes, right? It is, and as you have the villain, like people kind of develop into that villain, you have a new hero that starts to emerge, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Uh, and that's been the Grizzlies, but I think they're not doing themselves any favors in terms of being heroes because they have such <laughs> an attitude. I um, love it. Oh, see, I love, I love it, man. I'm here for it, man. Dylan <laughs> Brooks sometimes, I'm like, man, that's probably one step too far. <laughs> you yeah, you know when they were chirping at LeBron a couple years ago, it was like, yeah, you better, you better know what you're getting into. But they won that game, 
So it's like, hey, if you, if you want to talk, 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 just back it up. And more often than not, they, they do. So, yeah, I, I love how brash they are. I think it's part of what makes them super special. Yeah, the the cockiness, the uh, the arrogance, and I like it. I, I do find I'd much rather you play with that swagger than be some form of like timid, yeah, oh yeah, full sure. of talent. You yeah. know, we saw the Celtics like that a few years back, where they were full of talent but they were too timid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd much rather the braggadociousness. Oh yeah, you now. <laughs> I love that word, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you've when we were talking and we were sorting out what the topics were going to be, you added that you think they should load up. Do you have anyone in mind, or is it just more of a hey, you guys are gonna, you guys are really good. You're going to be good in the playoffs, and some extra depth would help. Yeah, it was more of that second where it's like they should do something. Um, now it kind of hey, if you can go get OG and an Obi, I'd probably be all over that if I was them. Like that, that that's the kind of move that now lifts you. They're, here's the thing with Memphis, they are really, really good, and they're really close right now. Um, their challenge is they are the best draft and develop team in the league. That entire roster outside of Steven Adams and Danny Green were guys they drafted and they developed themselves. Like, like they, they, they built that entire team up. And Tyus Jones, obviously, they, they, they uh, did a deal for him to get him to come over. But everybody else, they're guys. And that's really hard because – the number one thing we get attached to, you know, because I tease our guy over at Celtics blog, Bill Sai, about this all the time, is you're too precious with these guys because the Celtics drafted them, right? Like it's, it's the Grizzlies are the same way where it is like, well, we can't trade Jake Laravia. We just drafted him. Like we really like Jake Laravia. And it's true because you should, because you drafted him, but also you are, your track record stands for itself, right? And you, you, and every guy you've drafted in something pretty good for the most part. But there comes a point where if you're always building to something, you never actually build something, right? You're just always building. You never actually get it built. And for me is they're really close to getting it built. And I would look at saying, hey, we're, again, another team, miles, like $28 million under the luxury tax. So if we needed to take on $7 million extra in a trade where we send some salary out, Get it done. Go do it. Take on money if you can, because you're in a spot where it really, really makes sense for them to do that. And you have extra pick coming from the Warriors, plus all their own first round picks. And they're starting to run out of roster spots. It always sounds good with these teams to have a million draft picks and a whole bunch of young guys on contract until they all start becoming pretty good because you can't keep everybody yeah the, the truth in the nba there's 15 roster spots for standard guys and that's it and i it's funny i had somebody years ago it was only probably two years ago when i was bringing this point up about the thunder where i'm like they're gonna hit critical mass with these draft picks and like so what you draft somebody and sign them to a two-way now with the first round pick you don't do that like that's that's nonsense that's never gonna happen you know, so that's where and we've seen now the Thunder, what they've started doing is, hey, how about these two or three picks to move up just a couple spots? Because we really want to make sure we get player acts. Those are the kind of things you do on the Grizzly side. It should be hey, we're going to put it together. A couple of these guys and a couple of these draft picks. We're going to go get OG and an OB. We're going to go get if they could Boyan Bogdanovich, who would be perfect for them. The other thing is why I keep mentioning wings. Desmond Bain openly said he's going to be dealing with this foot thing for the whole rest of the season. If that flares up and he needs another two, three weeks off that hits at the wrong time, 
that's rough because now it's like, all right, what are we doing? I know Danny Green is back, but that starts to become real tricky to work around. If you could get one more wing in there, oh boy, that's a team all of a sudden that comes. They're not just going to be frisky and fun in the playoffs. We don't be talking about, they might be standing on the other side in the finals waiting for whoever comes out of the East. I like OG Memphis. Um, and they'll just be kind of fits, on. right? Yeah, and they'll yeah. be standing on the other side against Boston, just so everyone's <laughs> aware. Just so everyone's this aware. This guy I mean, is brimming with the Boston love after get, getting back home. He, they're my he, friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I text my wife after. So I walk through the come out the the press conference. For anyone listening, I flew over to Boston for my first time for the first time to cover a game. Um, and we finished the press conferences. My buddy is like, dude, it's nearly six a.m. I'm on eleven o'clock. It's like, just go home. So I'm walking out, and then Jason Tatum's like standing like right next to me, and uh, we I didn't say anything, right? Because obviously he's with the PR and everything. And I I wouldn't want to do something I'm not meant to do. So I just keep on walking, leave, and then I text my wife, knowing she'd be waking up. Like me and Tatum are best friends <laughs> because <laughs> I, I walked past the dude. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be the Celtics. I do think that Milwaukee can't be slept on. We can we, we're going to touch on Milwaukee on the next episode once I've had time to dive into them. Yeah. I wanted to do it this last week, but obviously haven't had chance. Everybody, we hope you're feeling way more prepared for the trade deadline now. We didn't hit every team, but we hit every major team that are being floated in rumors. Keith, I know you need to bounce, man, so thank you very much. I appreciate it, man. I'm excited. I'm excited to get back to our normal what we want to do with this show too but this has been a lot of fun these last couple episodes and it's the trade deadline it's it's far too important to just overlook like like the, this is uh the, this is good times here so i can't wait I, I just hope it's one of those weeks where we have a you know massive chaos and fallout to deal with after because that's always a lot of fun yeah it'll be like picking up the pieces of the trade yeah, deadline. That's it. so yeah. maybe i don't dive directly into milwaukee until the week after we'll next. see <laughs> we'll see <laughs> okay everybody have a great one and we'll catch you all soon